This is the World Bank's Infrastructure Podcast. Welcome to our first episode of 2022. Today, we discuss the distributional impact of a carbon tax. Whom does it affect and why? A lot of the discussion around policies to address climate change revolve around a carbon tax. The thinking is that if the cost of carbon were raised to reflect the true cost of emissions to society, then consumption would be curtailed to socially optimal levels. Some countries have already adopted taxes on carbon, for example, Sweden, Chile, Japan, South Africa, Canada, and the EU to name some. The rates vary widely. As with all taxes, carbon taxes affect some people more than others. Governments have to consider not just how to establish a tax, at what rate and which sectors to tax, but also how to implement it. And in making all these choices, who will end up paying the tax and by how much? They want to know the effect on residents. So how should they think about a carbon tax's distributional effects? Let's find out how. Good morning and welcome. I'm Ramin Islam, host of Tell Me How, and today I have as my guest Jan Steckel, Professor for Climate and Development Economics at the Brandenburg University of Technology and Head of the Working Group on Climate and Development at the Mercator Research Institute on Global Commons and Climate Change. He will be speaking to us today about the distributional impact of a carbon tax. Welcome, Jan. Hi, Ramin. Thanks so much for having me. Very nice to have you with us today. So, Jan, my first question is, what was the reason you began your research on the distributional impact of a carbon tax? We've seen that carbon pricing and also fossil fuel subsidy reforms have been stopped because of massive protests. Sometimes they have turned out violently. Understanding who loses from those reforms and how losers can potentially be compensated seems to be extremely important to resolve the political economy of carbon pricing. And even more so, as more and more countries have adopted a carbon tax, others are thinking of doing so. And tax adoption and implementation is often a politically fraught area. Energy price changes are socially and politically sensitive. And to basically solve this issue and to provide also academic solutions, we started to look deeper into those questions. Yes, it is indeed a very important question because we are seeing how uh, sensitive this issue is both from a social and political perspective across many countries. But just to be clear, when we're talking about carbon taxes here, we're not really talking about taxes on all sources of carbon, such as, you know, from agriculture or deforestation or methane, but, but only selectively about taxing fossil fuels, right? That's right. Usually, we only look into emissions from the energy and industry sector. So CO2 that is emitted when burning fossil fuels Sometimes, in our analyses at least, we also look into the broader greenhouse gases, but then we look into the agricultural sector, etc., which is very difficult to actually get, it, get your hands on when thinking of taxing. Is that because the emissions are harder to, to monitor? That's it. Okay, thank you. So, there aren't as many low- and middle-income countries as there are high-income ones that, that have adopted a carbon tax, and... I know that you've done research in some of the developing countries that uh, have adopted one. So 
what might be material ways in which, you know, low and middle income countries differ from high income countries and uh, ways that would lead to different impacts in those countries? Could you speak a bit about this? Sure. First of all, we see a large informal sector in most of the low and middle income uh, countries, which we do not have in the same uh, regard in, in most developed countries. The second point uh, is the ability actually to, to raise taxes. So we know that in many developing countries, the tax rate as a portion of GDP is much lower than in uh, developed countries. Then there is, of course, a high ratio of low-income people and also the types of fuels that are consumed is very different. So think of the many people who still rely on uh, traditional biomass, on charcoal. Uh, this is important uh, because this might also interact with actually uh, pricing formal uh, fossil fuels. These are really very important ways in which uh, countries may differ, and we should go into this a bit more, and we will later on in the podcast. But before that, could you talk a bit about your research methods and the data you use to understand the impact on households? Sure. First of all, we need to understand the determinants that are important for our research. And this is questions that you already talked about. Which greenhouse gases do we want to look at? Mostly CO2. Which sectors do we cover? Mostly energy and industry. Which time frame do we cover? Is it the short term? Is it the long term? Is it direct effects, also including indirect effects, for example, that appear through the entire supply chain? Uh, we, in our research, are mostly interested in the overnight effects of carbon pricing. So basically think of we go from not pricing carbon to carbon pricing overnight tomorrow. What happens? Who is affected? So we use mainly... Sorry, house- Jan, this is because you think the longer term effects might be different. Is that why? The longer term effects, much more difficult to accurately determine and... Think of when I motivated why we went into this research. It has a lot to do with kind of the political economy. So what are policymakers really interested in? Is it the general equilibrium effect? Yes, of course. But it is also actually the immediate reactions. Will the reform that I actually apply today, will people actually kick me out of office for this tomorrow? Because they basically are affected so heavily because they cannot afford, I don't know, buying bread or food or or anything, uh, so they might get really angry. And understanding this is the main goal. And therefore, we use kind of methods that, for example, work with household data, that work work with micro-simulations that are able to look into these short-term effects. And by the way, I'm personally, I'm more skeptical about Um, calculating these more general equilibrium effects, which you do, for example, by um, computable general equilibrium models in the context of low-income countries, because you need to make so many assumptions uh, that, in my eyes, uh, it is very difficult to justify those um, uh, always. Uh, Thank you, Jan. So I interrupted you. Did you want to go on about what else uh, you have in in your models? Yeah, maybe just quickly because you talked about the detailed models. So first of all, let me like basically what we do is that we combine very detailed household data. So this is kind of giving us information on how many children households have, what goods they consume, how they cook, what kind of fuels they use, etc. With so-called multi-regional input-output models. 
cars. And we need these models to calculate sector-specific carbon footprint. So, for example, the, the carbon footprint of the industry sector, or like it's more detailed than just industry sector. So the automotive sector, for example, in country X, including all the value chains, also taking into account where the cars, this uh, motorcycles in this example are imported from. And if we combine these uh, data and models, we can calculate how much a specific carbon tax would affect the household's expenditures. That's good to know. There, there are a lot of things that you actually take into account when evaluating the uh, household's decision, decision making. So could you speak now about some of the main results and how they differ from what might be found in higher income countries? So now we're going back a bit to what we discussed a bit earlier. So most importantly, if we do these analyses in developed countries, then a very usual result is that the distributional impact of a carbon price is regressive. That is, that poorer households on average are in relative terms more highly impacted than richer ones. That's different in poorer countries. Here, we find that carbon pricing is generally progressive. So the richer households are more affected in relative terms than the poorer ones. But the results obviously depend on the country or the actual design. That is, which sector, for example, is covered by a carbon price. Take China, for example. China has put a, a emissions trading scheme, so a price that only covers the power sector. That, of course, has different distributional effects compared to also taking the transportation sector into account or the heating sector or what have you. And then we also find large differences within the income quintiles. That is, even though results are progressive on average, there might be poor households that are highly affected simply because, for example, uh, that is an example from Turkey, some poor households uh, heat with coal. And they would, of course, be much more affected than households that heat differently, for example, with gas or with wood or whatever. And um, generally, importantly, in poor countries and across all income groups, these absolute effects of carbon pricing, that is without revenue recycling, so just the effect, basically, so no other measure taken, can really be significant, even for the middle class. So uh, when putting a tax, then the household welfare would at least at the first stage be reduced. Yes, and, and I guess that's important to understand that even if the tax, tax, sorry, even if the effects of the tax may be progressive, of course, raising the price of something you consume can um, be wealth reducing. In the first instance, it, it would be. So let's take uh, some of the things you said one by one. I understand that the distributional effects are country specific. Now, could you give us some more examples? Could we delve into this a bit more to understand the main reasons, which we've spoken about, but could you go into this a bit more? Sure. So the results very much depend on how exactly households consume emissions-intensive items, energy, for example, over the income groups. Take vehicle ownership as an example. It increases with income. In poor countries, this leads to richer households using a higher share of the income for transportation fuels, and when they get richer, are more affected, right? But the expenditure share decreases again for the very rich because you do not... Uh, endlessly kind of increase your driving, so to say, right? You, you need a car or a, a vehicle to get from A to B, but like at a certain point, you just get richer, but you don't drive more. 
right? So yes, uh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so the expenditure share decreases again for the very rich. Also, take biomass consumption; it decreases with income. So instead, people use more of the income for cooking and depending on the country, also for heating. However, biomass is not taxed. Uh, formal fuels such as kerosene, LPG or coal, etc. are. So richer people are more affected. Let's pause a bit here. You're saying that poor people will suffer a welfare loss. But even if they do, one would like them to consume less. Let's talk about this a bit more. There are various perspectives to that. First, from an equity perspective, we don't want very poor people that already have a very low income to suffer, right? So this is even more true as increases in formal energy sources such as LPG can push poor people to use more firewood or coal. And this is something that we don't want. Uh, it has, it would have negative effects on the health. We know that it has negative effects on gender, on nutrition intake, as we find in a recent yet unpublished study on Uganda. But these aspects need to be considered when thinking of uh, carbon pricing in poor countries. Second, there's an acceptance perspective. So energy price changes, and often triggered uh, by fossil fuel subsidy reforms, have a track record of triggering protests, partly violent in many countries. Think, for example, of Ecuador quite recently. And these process, protests have the power to stop these reforms. It's, however, often not the poorest who are on the streets. It's often parts of the society that are particularly affected because they overproportionately depend, for example, on transportation fuels or heating. It is important to know who those hardship cases really are, to communicate to them and to link of how to compensate them. The differences within income groups, what we call horizontal effects, are more severe than the differences in between groups, what we call vertical effects. The good news is, however, carbon pricing generates revenues, and using them smartly is the key for successful reforms. Now, could you just speak generally about what's one way to design a successful reform? I think for designing a successful reform, it's important to go beyond the standard economist's toolbox. So we often prefer to make a lump sum transfer, a climate dividend, the same amount to everybody. However, countries might have institutional difficulties to set this up, how to transfer the money, how to reach the people in need. Therefore, we increasingly also think of using the existing targeting mechanisms. All right. Compensatory policies are proposed to deal with the negative distribution effects and the welfare loss for poorer consumers. And there are you know, generally two types, reductions in other taxes or just direct transfers. What are your views on using tax reductions to compensate for carbon tax in developing countries? It's true. The standard literature highlights that revenues can be used to lower other distortionary taxes, such as taxes on labor. And that's in theory also a very, very good idea. But in developing countries, I'm less sure, honestly. So generally, those countries have a much lower tax income per GDP. Uh, they have difficulties to raise taxes at first hand. So it's probably better to use the revenues to invest in infrastructure, think of electricity, think of improved access to uh, stoves, for example, or water, etc., and transfers. Uh, so I think for developing countries, those two options are probably preferable than actually cutting down on the existing revenues that are already little. That's, a, that's an important thing to think of. You're right. Sorry, did I cut you off? 
Though I just wanted to highlight that I forgot to say previously that this channel of investing in infrastructure can be highly progressive. And um, if we look into research, at least from developed countries, interestingly, this also often is a channel that there is little research uh, in, in developing countries on that. But if we think of acceptability in developed countries, people often say, okay, it would be fine if those kind of taxes were raised and then the revenues were somehow earmarked in, in, in putting forward uh, clean energy infrastructure, for example. That's an important uh, point that you just made. Um, for earmarking, which, you know, one might not necessarily think that taxes should be, should be earmarked, now, does the impact depend on how the carbon tax is designed? How exactly you design a tax definitely matters. And uh, I think, for example, on the sectoral coverage. So many countries, when they start discussing to put a price on carbon, they might not firstly think of the entire economy. They might start with the power sector or the transportation sector or the industry sector. Uh, and that is fine. But like all of these sectoral designs also imply uh, differences in the distributional impacts. And I think it's important to have this in mind. Generally, what I think is that those policies should be designed in broader packages. So do not only think of the tax or the price, uh, uh, but also think of how to use the revenues from the start. So have in mind that like, the carbon price is actually correcting for an externality. It is generally increasing welfare. However, we should also think of making it acceptable and should think how it is perceived fairly. And this is in particular true if we think of poor societies who, of course, have only very limited emissions, who are not responsible. Yeah, that, those are all excellent points. And I, in particular, also like the point you made about the perceived fairness of reforms. You know, the actual as well as the perceived fairness, but both matter in this regard. So, Jan, could you speak a bit more about the effects of the carbon tax, depending on whether or not how informal, how large the informal economy is? Yeah, usually we have a problem in developing countries that these informal activities cannot be taxed. With the carbon tax, that is different because even if you are involved in informal activities, you usually still need to buy fuel, for example, on the formal market. This fuel can relatively easily be monitored, like how it is used, how much is used, and therefore it can also be taxed. Therefore, um, putting a price on carbon is also a possibility to kind of indirectly at least tax those informal activities. Okay, thank you for clarifying. Before we end today, is there something you'd like to add, Jan? I would like to add on, on one point because for some people, it might sound strange to discuss carbon prices in very poor countries. Why do I still think that in many countries the carbon price can actually be a good thing is twofold. First, I do think that it can help countries to improve their tax system in general and then have much more freedom to use their revenues. The second is that I do think that it helps countries also to avoid lock-ins that become costly in the future. So even if uh, emissions are arguably very low, also historic emissions are arguably very low, I think it is important to set the price signals in a correct way to ensure that development 
is going in the right direction. So thank you very much for an excellent discussion in which, you know, we've all learned a lot today. Thank you again. Thank you so much. Well, listeners, what have we learned today? Firstly, a carbon tax affects poor and rich people differently. And these distributional impacts are also dependent on country context. For example, the size of the informal sector, the types of fuel consumed by rich and poor people, the effectiveness of the taxation system. These are all factors to consider in assessing its impact in a country. Secondly, it is possible to mitigate the welfare loss to the poor, resulting from an increased carbon price. And this is done mainly through direct transfers, reductions in other taxes, or improved services through, say, infrastructure investment. However, compensation is not a straightforward matter, as countries may not have the fiscal capability to identify and compensate all those who are hurt, nor to implement the appropriate fiscal policy. Thirdly, it is important to think of carbon taxation as one element in a package of policies that are designed and implemented together to ensure the social and political sustainability of reforms over the medium term. If you'd like to learn more about the carbon tax, do listen to our episode eight, Tackling the Social Cost of Carbon. Thank you and bye for now.